Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. We have a personal testimony, and that personal testimony is also an amazing story of what God has done. If we're realistic in terms of thinking about where we would be if it were not for Jesus, if it were not for what he has done for us, and how he has granted us this wonderful gift of eternal life, how he's provided for us in such awesome ways. But we're afraid to share, aren't we? We're afraid to share that story. We can talk about other things in the news, but how often do we talk about what Jesus has done for us personally? It seems to me there are two major impediments to talking about what Jesus has done and talking about your testimony. The first one is something that we all deal with, and that's a fear of rejection. We're afraid that that person or persons are going to turn us off. They're not going to like us. They're going to turn away, or they're going to make fun, or whatever. There is no antidote to that except just do it anyhow. The second thing that inhibits people from sharing the gospel and sharing their story is the sense of not knowing if they will know enough to be able to share intelligently. What if the person is interested? Then then what do I do? And so many of us struggle with that because we don't know if we can clearly communicate what a person needs to hear. The passage of Scripture before us this morning is really a blessing for us in that regard. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand and read with me from John chapter 3. We want to read together, uh, read responsively actually, verses 1 through 12 as we consider this very uh, famous passage of Scripture this morning. I'll read the white print if you'll join me in reading the yellow. John writes, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Thank you, and please be seated. You may have noticed either today or when you were studying this passage this week, that three times Jesus says those words, truly, truly, in the text. And when he does that, that gives to us sort of three significant statements that Jesus makes in answer to this man, Nicodemus. And so he talks about the new birth. And first of all, what Jesus says as he speaks to Nicodemus is, that the new birth is required. It's absolutely essential. We read, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night. He's a Pharisee. Now, you may or may not know that Pharisees were one of the major religious groups in the land of Israel. They were conservative. They were legalistic. They um, had a whole religious system built around the keeping of the law, and it, it got into even the minutiae of the law. And so this man was someone who was highly regarded as a religious leader, a religious figure in the land of Israel, and he is said to be a ruler of the Jews. The word ruler is the Greek word that simply means first, and so he was he was first in terms of prominence, or sometimes it's translated ruler, and it means one who is in authority over. It's not clear exactly what is meant by that for Nicodemus, but it's clear that he is a significant leader in the Jewish culture. He is a ruler of the Jews. He is a first person, or he's a senior person among the Jewish people. Jesus is later going to say, you are the teacher of Israel. And what we find is that he comes to Jesus and he offers Jesus this statement. He says to him, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. We know that you're a teacher from God. And the reason he says that is because we have seen the signs that you have been performing. Now, if we back up in the text a little bit, we find there is one sign that's recorded in detail, and you've already studied that. It's the sign of the, the water being turned into wine at the wedding of Cana. And then Jesus came into Jerusalem a few days later at the Passover, and he invaded the temple area. He drove out the money changers, and while John doesn't call that a sign, that's pretty significant for somebody who's a ruler of the Jews, especially for a Pharisee. Nicodemus would not have missed that. And so that st stands out as something that Jesus has done, an in-your-face kind of thing for the religious leaders 
in the land of Israel. And then the text goes on to say, right at the end of chapter 2, that many were believing in him because of the signs which he was doing. So there were many signs. I think it's proper also to put Luke chapter 4 and 5 in between John 2, um, in, in the middle between the wedding at Cana and the time that Jesus went up to the temple. Or if you want to go to uh, Mark, it would be Mark chapter 1. Those events would fit in to that scenario. And so Jesus has performed many miracles at this point. John has not mentioned all of them, but Nicodemus is aware of them. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, we know you're a teacher come from God. And he calls him rabbi. So he approaches him with respect. That's not like most of the Pharisees. When we encounter them in the Gospels, most of them are really angry at Jesus. They're antagonistic, aren't they? They're challenging him. This man comes to Jesus. It says that he comes by night to offer this assessment. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. That says a lot for Nicodemus. For his willingness to go to the horse's mouth, if you will, to go to the person himself, rather than making judgments based on what everybody else is saying, which is what happens in many occasions. It's always good to go straight to the individual. If you have a question, if you have an issue, if you have a concern, go to the person, talk to that individual. That's part of, of common decency. It's part of human relationships to talk to individuals. An awful lot of problems would be solved if we just went like Nicodemus did, right, and go and talk to the individual involved. But we like to talk to everybody else. It's much easier to talk to everybody else. I think it took a lot for Nicodemus to come to Jesus. He must have made some sort of reservation. It doesn't say they were at a restaurant, and I don't picture that as being the case because the likelihood is it's a private meeting, but we don't know that. We just know that he made the necessary arrangements to come to Jesus by night. And Jesus then responds to him. It's really interesting how he responds, and I'm sure you have struggled with this and wrestled with this also. As I said, three times in the passage, Jesus says, truly, truly. That's like Nicodemus, this is really important. This is foundational in what he's saying. And he doesn't talk about the signs. I was trying to put myself in Jesus' spot here. If Nicodemus came to me and said, we know you're a teacher because of the signs that you perform, my response would have been, oh, yeah, which sign did you like? Right? Which one was most impressive for you? What did you think about what I did in the temple or whatever? Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't really talk to him about the signs. And he also said, we know you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus is clearly more than a teacher, right? When you go back to chapter 1, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or again in chapter 1, you have Andrew coming to Peter and saying, we have found the Messiah. 
You also in chapter one have Philip who comes to Nathanael and says to him, we have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote who was to come. Nicodemus doesn't offer that. He says, you're a teacher. And Jesus might have challenged that. He might have said, look, Nicodemus, I'm a lot more than a teacher because he was more than a teacher. So why doesn't he talk about the signs? Why doesn't he talk about who he is? Instead, what he does is to say to Jesus, or to say to Nicodemus rather, unless one is born again, he can never enter the kingdom of God. Instead of debating with Nicodemus, instead of getting into credentials and all of those kinds of things, Jesus says, unless someone is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus does is to take Nicodemus to the very basic foundational step. You can't have spiritual discernment until you are born again. And so Jesus starts with Nicodemus at the very beginning. Nicodemus wants to start with these other areas. He wants to come with these other things about who Jesus is and what is he doing. There must be in his mind this question about what is this man doing with the temple? What is this man doing with the miracles that he's performing? He's going into the synagogues and he's teaching. What is he, who is he? What is he saying or whatever? And Jesus just says, you got to be born again, man. You have to start at the very beginning. And the reason for that is that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What does he mean by see? It could mean experience. Sometimes, sometimes we use the word see in that sense, that unless you are born again, you cannot experience the kingdom of God. Oftentimes it's taken to understand you cannot enter the kingdom of God, but Jesus does say that a couple verses down. I think when he says you cannot see the kingdom of God, what he's saying is you cannot understand spiritual truth until you are born again. You cannot grasp spiritual things until you have spiritual life. And so what he's saying to Nicodemus is you have to start at the very foundational level. There is no spiritual perception without the spiritual birth. Now, that is really encouraging for us because what that says is the people that you and I know who are not born again need to be born again. And you can't explain the kingdom of God to them because they can't understand it. It's beyond their capability of comprehending. And so it says start with the very basics start with the foundational concept of being born again. Uh, we often think in terms of apologetics, and there's, there's a great place for apologetics, but it's not really for non-Christians. It's not really that apologetics, apologetics means to defend, to argue for the faith. But that's really for believers 
It's not primarily for non-Christians. Jesus is not going to sit here and, and debate Nicodemus in order to lead him into the kingdom. He says to Nicodemus, you got to be born again. It's that simple. You have to start with a new birth. And without the new birth, you can't really enter the kingdom. You can't understand the things of the kingdom of God. Second thing he says is that the new birth then is revealed to Nicodemus. He says at this point, uh, how can a man be born again? Um, Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? So Nicodemus is wrestling with this. Now, I don't think Nicodemus is actually thinking it's possible to have a second physical birth. What he's doing is he is verbalizing the thinking process as he reacts to Jesus' statement. Jesus is saying to him, you have to be born again. And that really strikes him. That really grabs hold of him, and he starts to wrestle with that. To his credit, he asks the question, well, what does that mean? How can a man be born when he is old? It's not a physical birth you're talking about, is it? See, can you put yourself in in Nicodemus' spot? He's coming to Jesus with these theological considerations. He's coming with, where does this man fit in the whole kingdom program of which I'm a part as, as part of the Pharisees and so forth? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And so now he's struggling to internalize that. And so he asks the question, what does it mean? What does born again mean? And so Jesus now starts to explain that new birth to him. Jesus says to him that unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so he explains what's happening. You have to be born of water and the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations about what does it mean to be born of water. There are probably several different nuances to that whole thing, but three major viewpoints. The first one is that it's talking about baptism. Um, There are a lot of commentaries, if you go to them, will say when Jesus talks about water, he's talking about the necessity of baptism and that people have to be baptized to be part of the kingdom of God. In my judgment, that is a total theological insertion in this passage. There is no indication of baptism at all. There's no, Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus at some point after a bit, you have to be baptized. There was no discussion of baptism coming into this. And so I don't think that's what he's talking about. Secondly, there are those who would say that this water refers to cleansing, that it's a spiritual cleansing that takes place. And usually the passages that are cited here are Ezekiel chapter 36, wherein Ezekiel says that God says to the nation of Israel, the day is coming when I'm going to wash you with water and I'm going to cleanse you, and then I'm going to put a new heart within you. And he gives his version of the new covenant from Jeremiah chapter 31. In Titus chapter 3, it also, Paul talks about the washing of water um, uh, by the Spirit and then the giving of new life. And that's a possibility. But I think the context, the local context, trumps everything. And I think the water here is just simply physical birth. Nicodemus has asked the question, 
what does it mean? Can, can a man be born a second time? And Jesus says, a man has to be born of water and he has to be born of the spirit. And so being born of water is a physical birth and being born of the spirit is a spiritual birth. And so he's comparing the two. He's using the analogy of spiritual birth, which has already been mentioned in the passage. And he goes on to say that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And I think that reinforces the idea that water is a reference to physical birth. So he says, you have to be born of water and you have to be born of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we have water and spirit, we have flesh and spirit, and so in my judgment, water and flesh go together in the passage. And so what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that you have to be born of of the spirit in addition to your physical birth in addition to having been born physically and having a starting point. Now, as Jesus talks about then being born of the Spirit, or it's sometimes translated being born from above, he explains that. As he talks about being born of the flesh or being born of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit is a regeneration. It's the invisible work of the Holy Spirit. If you go to a theology book, a a, a standard um, conservative theology book, you will find that one of the major works of the Spirit of God is called regeneration. He is the one who gives life. And so Jesus is saying it's necessary to be born of water and to be born of the Spirit. And so being born of the Spirit is this regeneration process that happens. And that's because every single one of us came into this world spiritually dead. We were born physically, but in our physical birth, we are separated from God. We are spiritually dead. I'll show you that passage in one second. And and Jesus goes on to say that this spiritual birth is a lot like the wind. He says, Nicodemus, You see the effects of the wind, but you don't really see the wind. We've seen that. We were talking the other day about marches typically in like a lion, out like a lamb. And so I was praising the Lord for all the wind that we had this past week because that means the end of the month is going to be nicer, hopefully. I don't know whether that happened or not. But the effects of the wind, you see, there there were chairs on our deck that were blowing around. And Fran said to me, you got to bring those chairs inside. Well, they've been out there all winter. I'm thinking if the Lord wanted them inside, he would have brought them inside somehow. But nevertheless, I brought them inside. I learned a long time ago, it's better to take a nice suggestion from your mate than to argue, right? And so um, because of the effects of the wind, I brought the chairs inside. Well, the working of the Spirit is like that. You see the effects, but you can't see the Spirit. You can't actually see His working. You can't actually pin it down. 
And so that's what he's talking about here. And the reason it has to be is because of what Paul writes like in passages like here in Ephesians 2. He says to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And we know he means spiritual death because he says, in which you formerly walked. So they were dead people who were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The Bible is very clear. We are born spiritually dead. And the only way we can have insight into the spiritual realm is if we are born again, if we have another birth. And so Paul continues in this passage, and he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with us and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this new birth is taking people who are spiritually dead, making them spiritually alive, and giving to them a whole new life, a whole new perspective, a whole new realm in their experience. You see Nicodemus, he must be like a deer in the headlights, right, at this point as Jesus is unfolding this for him and he's trying to grasp what happens. Um, Peter talks about this new birth also being born of imperishable word. And so thirdly, he talks about how the new life is reproduced. And so Nicodemus again raises a question. He says, how can these things be? How can these things be? He's wrestling with how this works. And and Jesus is trying to provide him with answers. It's really interesting to me. The teacher is puzzled by the process here, isn't he? This one, Jesus says to him, are you the teacher of Israel? He uses the definite article there, which infers that Nicodemus is the primary teacher for the whole nation of Israel so far as the Pharisaic system is concerned. Later on in Philippians, Paul will say, I was working hard as a Pharisee to bypass all of my peers. He had Nicodemus in his sights because Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. And the teacher of Israel is struggling with this most basic concept of spiritual experience. Now, why does that happen? The reason it happens is because we get fixated on other things. And so often we're unable to back down to the very simple foundational level. And that's where Nicodemus was. You see, God's truth is simple but profound. I don't know about you, but that's what I have learned to expect from God. God's truth is so simple 
that a child can understand it. But it is so profound that theologians cannot totally grasp it. I cannot completely explain to you the spiritual birth. I cannot explain to you exactly when it happens, exactly how it happens, exactly what the Spirit does. It is impossible to totally lay that out. It is way beyond our comprehension. But the beautiful thing is, it is so simple. We share it with children. That's why we're so invested in children here, because children are open. Children don't have all the hang-ups that the rest of us have. And so we just simply share the gospel. We say, kids, you're sinners. And they go, "Mm, yeah. And we say, and Jesus died for your sin. Yeah. So you need to invite Jesus to be your Savior. You need to be born again. And they say, show me where I sign up. Right? Children have no problem with it. Now, do they understand all the ramifications of that? No. And they need to hear it again and again. I accepted Jesus as my Savior probably a dozen times as a youngster growing up in church. And one day, I got to a point where I said to the Lord, I'm just going to nail this thing down with you. I want to be absolutely certain. And from then on, I never did that again. But Nicodemus can't get down there. He's struggling to get down on that level. And the reason is because you don't get into the kingdom of God by virtue of theological argument. And like Nicodemus, most people around us are asking the wrong questions. They're asking, what do I have to do to get to heaven? They're asking, which system of theology is the correct one? Which religion should I follow? When what they need to ask is, How can I be born again? How can I just simply accept Jesus? Now, John already has said this, hasn't he? All the way back in verse 12, at the very beginning of the book, he said, but to those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed on his name, who were born not of uh, of man or of the will of the flesh or uh, or of the will of the spirit, but who were born of God. What he's doing is fleshing that out now. And so he's sharing with us by using Nicodemus as an example about how this is to happen. It strikes me that all over the world people are able to have babies. And they're having babies all the time. Their babies born every day. And and many of the people who are having babies, they don't understand all the mechanics of that. I mean, they know that basic mechanics, but they don't understand the genetics. They don't understand the things that the obstetrician understands. They don't understand the things about having blood work done and, and, and having tests and all that sort of thing. They just have babies. That's what God is doing. It's just having babies all over the world. You must be born again. And everybody enters the kingdom through a spiritual birth. Finally, Jesus explains a bit of the process, and this is, gets back to where we started today. He says, it's not about intellectual explanations. It's all about sharing our experience. Do you see what Jesus says in these verses? He says, truly, truly, here it comes back now to this. This is foundational, Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know 
and testify of what we have seen. He uses the plural here. We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. What is that? That's a new birth. What he's saying is that believers the world over share their testimony of the new birth. And in doing so, people are getting born again. It's not about arguing somebody into the kingdom. It's not about having all of the apologetical answers. It's not being able to reason theologically or philosophically or any of those things. We just need to say to people, you need to be born again. You need to know that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, and you can be born again by inviting Jesus to be your Savior. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he wants us to share that. Share your wind experience. Share how God changed your life. Now, for some of us, we've gotten sedentary. We have gotten sort of fixated with things long since. Instead of going back and, and, and being able to say, you know what, God ch- totally changed my perspective. God totally changed my life by giving me this spiritual birth, by borning me again. And that's what he's asking us to share. Bill Bright put it this way years ago, and I'm so grateful for this. He said, successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. So Jesus does that. He doesn't have any formula that he gives. He just simply says to Nicodemus, Nick, I don't know if he called him Nick or not. (laughs) He just said, Nick, you need to be born again, man. You need to start with the basics. And that's what he wants us to do. And so here's how I put it together. Seeing God's kingdom requires a new birth. We all have people around us who are unbelievers, who are not born again. And so we just need to talk with them about it. We need to share with them. You know what? God came into my life, and I'm a whole different person. Maybe it was 40 years ago, but you're still a different person than what you would have been and what you were. And so we share that. Talk about your new life. Talk about what God is doing. And don't worry about all the answers. You know, the Lord will take care of it. God has been a midwife for 6,000 years. He's been bringing people to faith in Jesus for 6,000 years. He knows how to do it. And he will do it through you and other things that will happen. Amazing thing happened the other day. Francesca was sharing about how she went to a training session. And in this training session, a lady who was training her made a couple of comments about another person in the organization who is a believer. And so her sister just said, well, you know why he's like that? It's because he loves Jesus. And this lady went, he loves Jesus? What does that mean? And she said, well, we, we, I, I do too. We have been born again. God has changed our lives. And at the end of the day, the lady said, I want to talk with you more about this. And so Darlene said, I'll be happy to do that. I'm coming for training again in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk. And you know what? The lady went home, and she said, I'm not waiting a couple of weeks. I'm going to call the boss. And she called the boss, and she was born again that day. You never know how God is going to do it. 
You never know what he's going to do to bring that person to faith. We have to talk. We have to share that we've been born again, that God has changed our lives, that he's given us a whole different orientation. And that's why we're here, to do that. That's what he wants to do. I was going to share with you at the end, uh, as we finish up, and that clock was broken up there. It, it's saying 10.09 p.m. Um, I know exactly where I was on June the 7th, 1971. Do you know where you were? You know why I know where I was? I was in Plainfield, Indiana. Because that's the day our firstborn was born. That's the day Dan was born in Camden, New Jersey. I was in Plainfield, Indiana, and I missed it. Three and a half years later, when our second was born, I was there. And I watched that new birth. I watched what it was. And I wanted to tell everybody about the son that God had given us. You know what? There's nothing in this life more exciting than helping somebody be born again, than watching a birth take place. And that's what I want to encourage you to do as you share your birth experience and what God has done in your life. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.